I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So last time I was interviewing Matt Place, we didn't we, we didn't get we didn't get we didn't get done. There was more to talk about. So I I, I brought Matt back. So we're gonna talk more with Matt. So I say hi Matt. Hey Mark. Okay, so last we left off, um we had talked about dissension. That was the first set you had led. So what what was the second set that you led? What was the second your second development team? Oh, let's see. Now what was the second set? Um, was it, I'm trying to remember. I got to, I have to cheat and look. You can cheat and look. Yeah, you said your first design was Zendikar, but your first, your... <laughs> well, I remember uh, last time we were chatting, we were talking about, uh, initial design team. Yeah. I was actually, you know, we were kind of talking about how much we, yeah, color pie and planar chaos. I was actually on that team. Oh, you were on, you were on planar chaos. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we, we messed around with purple on planar chaos. You remember oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, how much do people know about that? Uh, I've, I've mentioned in passing. So yeah. it, the whole premise was, um, real quickly, it was it was past, present, future was the way I, I lined up the block. And But present, what is present? Like the past, look at Magic's past and make, you know, the future, look at Magic's future. What does the present mean? So I came up with this idea of doing an alternate reality present. What if Magic had been different in some way? Uh, and so we reconfigured the color pie so that different co- like we kept the philosophies the same, but we said, well, what if growth was shown through card drawing? And we we just did different things. And one of the things we at, we we seriously toyed with was doing the six color because we yeah. joked about it forever. But we're like, okay, what if in this reality there's six colors? And so I think purple is what we called it. And right. do you remember much about purple? Do you remember much? I do. I do. It had uh, it had broken cards. Yeah. Okay. What what card? I remember one card specifically we put in. Yeah. What What do you yeah. remember in purple? I remember Mana Drain. Yes, that's what I remember. <laughs> we had Mana Drain in purple. Costing PP. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The idea was that uh, I think we call a cave. Is that what we called for the land? Um, it was the basic that, and it was one of the only ways to generate purple was a big part of. Correct. Correct. Land. Right. Yeah. You You had to have this land, so it let us push the power level because it was a little harder to access it. And so, right, we had cards like little, literal mana drain, but in purple. You know, purple, pur- rather than blue, blue, purple, purple. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were four of us on the team, and we were generally, like, very excited about it. And one of them, Bill Rose, was, you know, at the time your boss. And, uh, yeah, he- Bill, Re- Bill Rose led the team. He was the lead design right, of right, uh, that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And he was into it. So I thought, there's a good chance we were adding a sixth color, maybe just for one set. Yeah. But, yeah, and Paul Sidisanti, he was creating a lot of the cards. I remember he was... Uh, yeah, that was the team. It was the four of us. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the closest we've ever come to doing purple. Um, it's the one time we're like, oh, maybe we're doing this. And, you know, we, we really explored it. It ended up not working yeah. out, but um, we did. So, so, okay, you were on Planar Chaos. That was your first design team. Yeah. Okay, so you, you weren't on Fifth On, I don't believe. Yeah, I wasn't on the team, but I, I did play testing for a little while for Fifth On, right? Okay, and then following that was, we're getting to Lorwyn Block. Did you do anything in Lorwyn Block? Yeah, Lorwyn was my, well, yeah, so of the four sets, right, um, my first, my second lead. Okay, um, which, which set? Even Tide. Oh, you already even tied. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the first time I led the design. You led the, the development, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, so the, yeah. real quickly, my, my even tied story, I, I'm not going to name names, but uh, you'll know who it is. Um, okay. Somebody else was supposed to lead the design for Eventide, and at the last minute, they decided not to do it. And so okay. I ended up doing it because I had nobody else to do it. So I did it. Yeah. Right, I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so what was uh, doing Eventide like? So that, I, I made a decision that I think in retrospect might have been a mistake, which was, um, 
well, let's just uh, let's just do enemy. We we did ally hybrid. Let's do enemy hybrid. Right. That was and remember the times. The audience knows. Um, back then when we did drafts, you drafted in order of the set release. We later changed that. Like you later on, it was like the the most recent set was the first set. But back then, you would draft Shadowmore. So Eventide, you would draft Shadowmore. Was it Shadowmore Eventide or you draft two Eventides? One even tied is my memory. I think Shadowmore, even tied. So we made a set, but we were the third set in one pack, and we had to make our themes matter. In And the first two sets were the allied colors. We were the enemy colors. The first set, yeah. 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 And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's it's still interesting to hear this day. We, we During design and development, we had a lot of debates on, like, what is hybrid? Why is it cool? Right? Because a lot of us believed it was cool, but it was actually easier to cast than normal monocolor cards, right? Yeah. So so what can we give away? And I remember a lot of the debate is just how powerful can we make these cards? You know, it's easy to push a card with casting cost of absorb, right? WWU. Um, that's easy to push because it's so restrictive, but it's the reverse with hybrid. Uh, so it was a challenging set for sure. And in hindsight, I think, you know, one of my regrets with the set is not putting, you know, the power and uh, the designs behind enough you know, just straight Timmy, you know, hey, if this set's confusing or weird to you, here's just the latch on to awesomeness. I think we could have used more back then. But anyways, uh, you know, long time ago. So, so Eventide, I'm trying to think what, Eventide's familiar for a couple things. One is, it was the introduction of Chroma, which most of the audience right. knows much more now is Devotion. Right. Um, uh, Chroma, we didn't, like, it's one of those mechanics that we didn't quite figure out the right version, and then we came back to it, and the redone version was a little, this flavorfully cleaner. Right. Um, oh, also, um, what's the name of the, the red-white that you activate three different times to upgrade it? Oh, yes. Uh, the hero. Uh, what was his name? That, that, was, that was probably the most popular card out of that set. Oh, yeah, easily. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name, though. I'm so bad with names. For sets that I worked on, it's funny, right? Because the playtest names often confuse me with the real names. I will still to this day say names of cards, and people are like, "That's not a magic." Card. I, I know it. <laughs> they, they, people always say, "How's he always get the names right?" I'm like, "None of the names are the names I use. That, that that's why it's so hard." Um. Okay, so the one thing is, I can look this up because, uh, I, well, I'm, I'm not actually driving, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up and, and see what the name of this card is. Um, this card has inspired a lot of things. It inspired a whole mechanic. Um, uh, Brian Tinsman made Level Up based on it. Right, right, so. right. And I think he made the original, right? Uh, yes, I think Brian did make the original. Right, Brian was on the team. Um, so it was red-white, right? Right, correct. Okay, so let me look at red and white cards. Yeah, this is funny. Normally, when I'm doing my podcast, I'm driving, so like I, I can't just like look cards up or something. So this is oh, fig, figure of destiny. Of course, figure of destiny. Right. Um, yeah, so figure of destiny. It's a one one for one hybrid mana, red white, and then for one red hybrid mana, you make it a two two, and then for three, you make it a four four, and then for six, you make it an eight eight flying first striker. Right. Um, so one of the cool things about it, you got it early, but then it evolved as the game went on. So it was actually pretty powerful. Yeah, just an awesome design, right? Very powerful, but still fair, right? Not a uh, yeah. you know, 11 on the 10-point scale, as we used to say. Uh, and inspired, of, like you said, a major mechanic in Tenzin's lead for Rise of Eldrazi initial design. Yeah, it's funny because the um, one of the things about this card is there's certain cards in Magic that just, like, go on, like, 
from a design standpoint, they're just like something about them just inspires people. And like, right. for example, Plague Rat, there's all sorts of cards that, you know, Richard yeah. made Plague Rat and Alpha, and then just infinite cards got made because of Plague Rat. Um, right. And Figure Destiny is one of those cards that just kind of like infinite cards have been made of people inspired by it doing different things. In fact, um, Monstrous, Monstrous, which is a mechanic in Theros, is somewhat owes its allegiance to this as well, in addition to level up. So uh, right. it is definitely a very influential card. Okay. So after Eventide, let's see, then we get into Shards block. Did you work on any of the Shards, the Shard sets? Shards of Lara, Conflux, yeah, or... Oh, no, you did... You did Avacyn Restored? You did... No, I'm sorry. You did... Um, what's the last set? Uh, Alara Reborn. Alara Reborn. Yeah, I was the lead developer on that, and then I was on the design team for Shards that Bill Rose was leading... Um, generally, right? If you remember that. That, that was the craziest design team, by the way. Bill broke Bill, up into five design teams. Well, what, what happened was, real quickly, what Bill did early on was he did this rotating thing where the team kept rotating. Right. It eventually got to the point where we broke into five teams and each team designed something. But before that, it's like every month we be a different team. And so it's funny, if you ever look at the design team for... Um, it's like everybody was in at Wizards that, like, it's like a 30-person design team. Right. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, first set with Mythics as well. Yeah. Okay, so um, Alara Reborn was a challenging set because it's one, one of our gimmick sets oh, God, where yeah. we decided that every card is gold. Every what was that like? Gold. Right. It was crazy. So uh, a lot of our questions, especially early on, were, all right, how do we make this work? This can be sweet. Uh, a lot of the debate was, well, is it too much of a good thing, right? Is it ice cream for breakfast, right? Is this just too much? Um, but we often point, especially Bill Rose would point to uh, Legion, the Hi. second set in the onslaught block. My daughter's here to help us out too. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Legion was um, all creatures, right? Yeah. And it was awesome. People loved it. We often referred to it as one of the best small sets. And so this was kind of like going down that same path. Like, okay, every card's a gold card. Sweet. And as we sort of explored, it's like, Okay, but how do we do mana fixing? How do we do, if there's no land, but every card is, you know, asking you a lot from your mana, what do we do? Yeah. So we came up with some crazy ideas, right? The artifacts that basically you could play, um, turn two as a tap land, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a crazy set. Um, it's fun to open and see every card being gold. It yeah, is. yeah, no, it's definitely, we don't, we don't do that uh, gimmicky sets quite, quite like that anymore. I mean, right. we'll do... Torment back in the day. So. Yeah. Most cards are black set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay, you led Alara Born. Okay, now we get into, what, Innistrad block. Um, yeah. Is that right? Well, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, no, no Zendikar block, Zendikar block. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. you were on the design team for Zendikar. Yeah, um, you, me, you, Doug, and, and Graham, yeah. I think there was a fourth, wasn't there a fifth? I, yeah. I feel like there was a fifth person, but maybe not. Um, Eric Lauer? No, Eric wasn't. I don't think it was Eric Lauer. Anyway, um, okay, so you were on the design team for Zendikar. Did you, uh, Zendikar Block, did you do any development? Uh, yes, I went over. So I was the, back then we had often one person who was the liaison, right, to development. Okay. So often when I was on the design team, initial design, I would go on to the, the development. So I did that for, for Zendikar. For Zendikar, well. okay. And that one was crazy too, with different leads and whatnot. So that's yeah, I think that said had three leads, three development leads during the yeah. course of its. Uh, yeah. Ending with uh, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron was the final one. Um, yeah, I, I think because Aaron was the lead of development, and after two leads, he's like, "Okay, I'll just do it." <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 
right. So, um... And it's, a, it's one of the best sets, you know, like, so good job. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, Zendikar turned out great. It, yeah. It's funny, because one of my memories of Zendikar was that um, I had wanted to do it forever, and the running joke was I, I would make um, seven years of sets, and it always was my seventh year, and then it kept getting pushed back, and, like, for, for years and years, and everybody would mock me about, no, no one understood, like, why I'd want to land focus that. Right. Uh and then it finally gets made, like, after, like, so Bill Rose, for example, I don't know, do you know this? Bill Rose, before we began, gave me three months, or two months, two months. He said, I have two months to prove it, and if not, we're changing it. Yeah. And I had, like, two months for the team to, and then after two months, Bill said, okay, that looks cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, years later, we're talking about doing a return to Zendikar, and Bill's like, we got to go back to Zendikar. I'm like, what, Bill? What, what was that you saying? <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, I remember the drama about it, right? Because it was, you know, I don't know who else was supporting you, honestly, back in the day. with one, one other person was, do you, you know the one person who supported, like when I first pitched it that said, I think this will work, and he, he was the only person other than me, obviously, to say that they thought it would work? Well, it definitely wasn't me. It was not you. It was Mike Turian. <laughs> Turian, all right. That is Turian's claim to fame. He, he was the one person that backed me on, on, uh, on Zendikar, so. He was very right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, it's funny how we go back and a lot of my successes, how hard I had to fight for that success. It was very, uh, um, yeah, okay, but we'll, 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 we'll get to a few others on the road. Okay, so yeah. Zendikar Block, um, yeah. you were on Zendikar Design, you were on Zendikar Development. Did you do World Wake or do... No, um, I, I skipped that. Like, so part oh, no, that right, was, did you, were you on Rise of the Eldrazi? Yeah, Rise, I was the, the lead developer. Okay, let's talk about Rise. Rise is the end of the Zendikar Block. Oh, no, no. Yeah. So right, yeah, Rise of the End of Zendikar Block, right, okay. Yeah, hands down the most challenging thing I did at Wizards, for sure. Uh, it was, let's totally flip, right, you know, Tensman was the lead, Brian Tensman, awesome designer. He oh, wait, 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 real quickly, just so I, I, I can fill the audience in, because us saying Brian Tensman doesn't necessarily, I, I gotta get, Brian was a, a balls-to-the-wall designer. Like, he would have yeah. an idea, and he would just, he would go full throttle for his idea. Uh, and he had really cool ideas, and he definitely was a really inventive person. But when he wanted to do something, like, he would go... So the whole idea here was he had pitched this idea of uh, we would call Battle Cruiser Magic. Just, it's right. giant creatures! So talk about making this out of giant creatures. Right, exactly. So, you know, a lot of his ideas at the beginning... <laughs> yeah, a lot of his ideas at the beginning were like, what if there were no little creatures, right? What if it was only Battle Cruisers? What does that mean? And, you know, we, so we explored it, we went around, and like you're saying, Brian would want to push the limits, and he was very good at, you know, making them happen. So he actually made it happen. We shipped Battlecruiser Magic, and I think figured out a great way to do it. But there was a lot of doubt, of course, because we were doing so many things radically different, right? Like, um, you know, how many, what if, what if it's just bad in this world to play cheap cards? Like, what does that mean, right? And we knew that this format for limited, we knew that this format for limited would be played by itself. So, and I think that was good, right? It would be hard to do something this radical when it was part of something else for limited. Yeah. Yeah, you want to go run? Okay. Uh, sorry, Mark. But, uh, but no. yeah, so, you know, we're well, staying at home. So. Yeah, real, real quickly, if you want to take care of your daughter, uh, let me explain a little bit about uh, Rise of the Drazi. So, yeah. Brian really had a vision. He had a very strong vision for the set. And one of the challenges that the developer has is, and now set design and play design, is vision sets a vision, you know, and then, or design at the time sets a design. And it's really the job of the development team slash set design team to figure out how to execute on that. And one of the things that, 
you know Matt had had to really figure out was, yeah, how 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 do we make it in limited so you can play giant creatures? Because a lot of times in limited, the game's over before you even get to the point where you could play a giant creature. Um, and there were a lot of tricky decisions to make to figure that out. Um, yeah, I was I was on the design team for that set, but I wasn't I wasn't on the development team. Yeah, and um, leveling, you know, from the yeah, level up was in the, in the set that we were just talking about was a perfect solution, right? Where it's still these could turn into battle cruisers, right? So these giant win the game, you know, yeah. super epic demi cards, uh, while still giving you things that you're doing and you're spending your man on in, on in the early game. Um, but yeah, you know, that set of common, I think, had, what was it, at Eldrazi, that was a 7-7? Seven, seven, yeah, it had a 7-7 seven, seven common. Destroyed something, right? Just things that easily would have been rare when right, I right. started playing. Uh, we were going to put a common. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was it was definitely a tough challenge. We, uh, I think we got there, and people really enjoyed the limited, for sure. Okay, so f- next set was uh, Innistrad block. Did you work on any of the Innistrad block? I assume so, you did so something. My last set, so I left... <clears throat> to that early 2010. Yeah, okay. My last set was Scars and Mirrodin, where I was on the design team with you. Uh, oh, right, right. Sc- sorry, Scar- Sc- Scars was before... I jumped ahead. Scars was before Innistrad. Right, right, right. right. Okay, and so were you on... What did you do in Scars and Mirrodin? Scars... I, I, so I, I left pretty early on that set, but I remember doing um, some of the designs that actually got shipped, like the... Uh, the guys that they start in your hand, you can reveal them to get like a one-one goblin or you know, right, right, right. Whatever it was, um, uh, I didn't actually design those. I kind of pitched some of the ideas for that, and then you guys made it a cycle. But uh, yeah, you, not a lot, not a lot in that set. Um, okay, so yeah, did we skip? So what did we? We talked about sets. What were there stuff you worked on that I, I didn't hit because I, I was we were mostly hitting sets. Yeah, a big part of my what I did there too was the uh, the original duels of the planeswalkers. Uh, got to do that with stainless. Um, well, talk, let's talk about that. What was that like? The original doing duels of planeswalkers. So that that was great. So, but the the precursor to that was something we called the ninth edition tutorial CDs, right? So for ninth edition, we made a CD that went in a mag- video game magazine. These used to exist. <clears throat> I'm feeling old, Mark, explaining these things from back in the day. But oh yeah, see, once upon a time there was uh, we used to print on paper, and you could purchase the paper and and read the things printed on paper. Right. Exactly. And. Uh, so one of the common things, you know, there are game demos in these uh, video game magazines, and so we included the ninth edition tutorial CDs in those, um, where people could like learn how to play Magic, but they weren't great at doing it. So we worked on this and uh, tried to make it better and better and better. Um, but a lot of the learning was how do you teach Magic? And you know, we all make this mistake when we're trying to teach Magic in the beginning, which is okay. Here's all the rules. You need to know this, and there's an exception here, and da 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 da. Right. And the real way to teach Magic we started to learn is, okay, this game is super fun. Watch what you can do. And then show them the giant growth block or show them, you know, just fireballing a creature, right? Something that's cool and evocative as fast as you can so they get into it and then they'll naturally naturally learn more of the mechanics. Um, yeah, so so the goal of, and it turns out it worked out pretty well, of Duels of Planeswalkers was to uh, be on Xbox and kind of reach a whole new audience. And so it was definitely not trying to be, you know, hey, if you're, you know, wanting a really hard, complex game, come check this out. Uh, so we had, you know, sounds and, you know, made it a real video game. Um, and, yeah, so that was uh, a cool way to kind of turn some of our learning as we went on, you know, what, how do you actually teach somebody what's appealing to people who are new. We tried to pack that into this video game we were putting on Xbox. And it's interesting. One of the things that I, I think you really were one of the, um, leaders on 
for a long time, the philosophy at, at, at Wizards had been the way you teach somebody is to teach them the absolute simplest version you can. Okay. And we would always kind of like try to right, peel everything we could away so we're giving you the simplest version. Uh, and you were one of the people that really said, hey, that, that's not what makes magic exciting. You know, it, it's not like, oh, you want to play magic? Well, let's play the most simplest version you can. What made magic exciting was you were doing exciting things that you had, you were interacting with cool, flavorful things. And right. you were one of the big people that always said, hey, you know, if people are excited, they're more willing to learn. And so rather than giving something the simplest thing that maybe they can comprehend, give them something exciting that even if they don't comprehend, they want to comprehend it. Right. Uh, and that was a big shift, I think. Um, and I really, I attribute you with being a big part of leading that shift at Wizards away from make it the simplest it can be to make it the evocative, the most evocative it could be. Right, cool, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, a learning moment. We were doing a playtest of the Infinite Edition tutorial CD, and there was this kid, you know, 12 years old, who was getting it, right? He was playing the video game, and it would tell you, you know, here's what 3BB means, right? You have to tap two black, like, and he kept trying over and over, and he got it. And without us intervening, he was able to actually go play Paper Magic in the other room. That was how we did the test. And we talked to him afterwards, like, oh, man, you, you figured it all out. What do you think? And because it was so grueling and, and terrible to try to learn all these rules without the fun, he's like, yeah, I figured it out, but I'm never playing this game again. Right? <laughs> and it was like, oh, wait, we did teach him magic, but we failed. Oh, okay. Right. Right. Yeah, the, 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 the thing that, like I said, that you really bring to the forefront is the idea that it's not – the important goal at the end of teaching somebody is not that they understand everything. is that they, they want to play again. That like, oh, I understand everything, but I don't want to play. That That's not succeeding. And that one of the things that I think we walked away is, look, if somebody's invested and interested, they'll spend the time to learn. But if they're right. not interested and not invested, yeah, they're not going to continue. Um, right. And that was my story when I first started playing. I was fascinated by all these cards I just understand, right? But it was pulling me in. Just going, oh, what's going on here? A northern paladin. You know, such good top-downs to D&D and whatnot. That's what got me in, right? Um, okay, so we're trying to take a little bit of overview of your time at Wizard. So yeah. last time we talked about New World Order, which I, I think was a big contribution uh, that you had. Um, obviously, the the shift over to how we thought about, about teaching, I think, was big. What, what else do you think were, like, what is your thumbprint on magic? Well, a lot of my time there was spent balancing, too, right? Being on balance teams, uh, I was the lead for the FFL for like the two and a half, last two and a half years I was there. Uh, so real quickly, explain what the FFL is for those that don't know. Yeah, FFL was the, uh, basically we would get together and it was the team of people who were going to get together and balance tests, right? Do some battles, you know, figure out broken decks, etc. cetera. And, uh, and that often included people who were good at magic that worked in the building, but not, weren't necessarily R&D members or even on uh, design or development sets. Um, and we meet weekly and kind of go th through things. Uh, you know, we made the big mistake when I was new, of uh, uh, Umazawa Jitte, right? Like where it's like just totally overpowered and totally embarrassing why, right? We basically had a rules issue that leads to this overpowered version, right? You can't make mana at the same time you do other things. Therefore, we have to change the mana ability on this equipment to minus one, minus one. We ship it out the door without playing it, honestly, right? Super bad mistake. Right, it's changed so, very late in the process. Changed very late, and we didn't play it enough, I should say. Um, so we, we became more serious about balancing, obviously. And, uh, yeah, so we would, uh, you know, in the FFL, we had something called the JIT list, which was what cards do we think we have in a set right now that might make us regret like we regretted Umazawa JIT. And, 
Yeah, so I think I helped out with, you know, just being aware that, you know, while we need to ship 10, right, we need to ship the most badass, awesome, cool cards we can, we need to make sure that they're, you know, taking the game in a good, healthy direction, unlike things like, you know, Jit, which are, you know, I can't play a 2-2 against you now because what I block, you know, I can't even block because you kill it, right? So the unfun power versus the this is really fun and still powerful. Um, and I think we did a big shift from that from, you know, mirrored and up through through uh, my last two sets, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing, one of the things that's interesting to me, I mean, having been a wizard so long, is watching the evolution over time, like, just how we make magic kind of constantly itself evolves. Right. Um, and... I mean, the, I think the period you were there. So you you started in 2003, and when did right. you leave? 2010. 2010. So you were there seven years. Yeah, almost, um, yeah. I know. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it's funny because I, I think of that time, like, there's different periods where we learn a lot of different things. And uh, I think a very, very important point of that, and I think you were a big part of this, is really rethinking how beginners look at the game and how people learn the game. And like I said, in a lot of ways both New World Order and sort of a shifting on how we teach the game were us spending a lot of time trying to understand, you know, how, how to look at magic in, in a broader way. And, and I really think that, that shaped, shaped in a big way how we make magic. Yeah, because part of the challenge was, is, you know, we could, we could get into a silo, right? Well, we all understand these cards we're making. So what's the problem, right? Well, I mean, in future, I mean, uh, Time Spiral Block was basically us doing that. Right. Like, we made a set that was really fun for us. Yeah, and, and I remember hearing back that, you know, the graph of, like, sales versus tournament attendance, that was the first time those two broke, right? The yes. tournament players were loving the set. So we did successfully make it for people like us, or at least, like, you know, the pro players, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but overall, it was a mistake. And that's very interesting to hear. That's the first time those two graphs actually separated. Right, real, real quick to explain what Matt's talking about. Um, we track a lot of things. Two of the things we track is... How do the sets? How do they sell? And the second thing is, how much organized play did we have? How many people played it? And up until that point, up until um, Time Spiral, they were always in lockstep. If a set sold well, it played well. And Time Spiral had this weird dynamic where it played very well. A lot of people were playing it in in tournaments, but it sold poorly. And it made us like step back and go, "Wait, what's going on here?" We they never deviated before. They never, and it made us realize there's this large group of people. I think we called them the invisibles, meaning they're people that play magic, but they don't play them where we see them. They're right. not playing in sanctioned tournaments. And one of the things that's really important to understand is the people that play in sanctioned tournaments, while they're very important to us, they're a small portion of magic players in the larger scope of things. And they're the diehard, they're the very enfranchised players. We very much care about that those group of players, but they're they're one section of a, of a much larger group. And it was interesting trying to learn about that larger group. Um Right, right, right. Yeah, and you, you were very central to a lot of those those discussions. Yeah, and I feel like something, you know, since I've left, something you guys have gotten very good at, which is awesome, is appealing to both groups, right? Like, clearly casual magic has just exploded beyond anything I would have imagined while I was still there. And, uh, and still super fun for, you know, the more hardcore player. So, yeah, it's nice to see that you can, you know, appeal to both, please everyone. It's great. Uh, one of our tricks... We make a lot more product. <laughs> oh, my God. We used to argue about, right, with uh, four set years versus three set years. Yeah. Is this is too much, right? That was a big debate. A lot of people were very passionate about this is too many magic cards. 
clearly not. Yeah, well, you guys have anymore. <laughs> the, the very first year I was there, um, I was talking about how many sets we released. And like, I, I think the first year I was there, we released two sets the whole year. Crazy, yeah. Um, that's the only year. That's the only year we ever released two sets. But every year before then, after that, was at least three. But um, so anyway, Matt, I'm I'm almost to my den. Uh, so as we're, anything you want to say as we're wrapping up here, any anything you would like to add in in our final moments? Oh, uh, it's great chatting with you. Um, yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for having me, Mark. Well, I'm glad having you here. So, like, one of the things I've been trying to do with my interviews is sort of mix it up. I've been interviewing a bunch of current employees, but I like going back and interviewing some older people. Um, so, this was fun. So, I'm thanks for joining me, Matt. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So, anyway, guys, uh, I I see the den up ahead. So, uh, we all know what that means. Uh, it means it's the end of my drive to work. So, instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So, uh, before I wrap up, Matt, once again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for joining us on, on two whole podcasts. So, it was great having you. Awesome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.